and welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, Jeremy. And Billy is not going to be here. He's busy getting ready for his grandma's birthday, which we will get into when we talk about the game we're going to discuss today, Incredible Crisis, for the PlayStation. But Billy will not be joining us. He'll hopefully be back next episode. Uh, so before we get started on the game of the episode, Jeremy, what have you been playing lately? I have been playing a little game called Weird West. And it is... I've been playing it on Game Pass, but it's out for like PC. I, I think PS4 and PS5 as well. It's uh, it's a really great little action ARPG, whatever you call these things. It's not like uh, you know where it pauses time whenever you attack or anything, but it's it's kind of you know it's actually happening in real time. But it's this really cool setting of just the wild west, but with like a layer of supernatural just layered on top of it, and even just the the opening movie got me like the designs and everything i was like all right i'm i'm in for this and it's it's done really well like if you like if you just have a thing for old school arpgs i think you'd really be into this it's a little you know you're using older weapons old wild west weapons like revolvers and shotguns and stuff like that and it's one of those kind of arpgs where it seems to want everything to go really bad often and uh. that's really that's what happens a lot in this one. There's a whole lot of quick saves happening between, you know, if you do anything <laughs> right, you know, something actually goes your way and you don't blow up a barrel and 30 people come you know, flying on top of you, you, you do a quick save. And there's there's a lot of that. And it, if you're not into that kind of thing, you know, it's very it's a very difficult game. It gets very difficult very quickly. I would not recommend this one. But if you are a fan of that trial and error classic ARPG, Weird West is is damn good. Uh, it, it, at least check out that opening. It's, uh, it's some of those designs are are just so awesome. Well, I uh, unbelievably, I, you know, I had finished um, Elden Ring, and so then I was like, I'm going to go back and find. You know, I I never got into, and I don't know why Bloodborne. I love it. The little bit I've played is really good, but I'm just not. I don't know what it was. It wasn't clicking with me. Uh, so I figured now that I've played Elden Ring and I finished that up and, and it'll, it's a faster game than a regular Dark Souls, maybe that was going to help. And, and so I have gotten back into Bloodborne, gotten a little farther. I'm still not super far, but I've at least uh, gotten far enough into the game where I feel like I'm, I'm learning how to play it. But at the same time, I really, really missed playing Elden Ring. So today I actually started my second playthrough uh, where I'm playing through as like a, like a, a healing caster with a sword. I don't know. I, there's something about Elden Ring that... I haven't played a game back-to-back -back in forever. I mean, other than, like, a, a real fast action game. Like, I can play Mega Man back-to-back. -back, but generally, like, if I take 100 hours through a game, then I'm done with it for a long time. I put it back on the shelf. I'll play it again someday, maybe. But more often than not, I don't even pick it up again. This is when I just kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about it because, like, I, I have to get back into it. So I started playing that again today. But also, I broke down... Finally, now that I have a job and a real income again, I was like, you know, I've been thinking about getting this for a while. I'm just going to just going to pull the trigger and get it. I did get myself an Evercade Verse, which is the standalone, not handheld version of the Evercade. Oh, yeah, yeah. TV. If you get the full set, it comes with two controllers and uh, two different arcade carts of the Technos and Data East, which I already had Data East, but whatever. It's what it comes with. And uh, man, it it's something about... First off, it does look better on a TV than plugging the, the handheld into a TV, which still looked really good. Don't get me wrong. It looks better than plugging in a non 
you know, like an older system into an HDTV, it always looks a little ugly. This still looks really good, but this is definitely, uh, you know, 1080p, it's much sharper looking. Uh, it also has, so the, the options to have two controllers is actually pretty nice because there's a lot of two-player games. Either way, I, I love it. It's in the middle of my living room now next to my PlayStation 4 and, uh, and the Switch. But at the same time, I'm like, this really is a system made for, like, like me, like I, I understand that it has like a small market, and I guess I'm in that market. The thing that's got me into now is that you know all the games on it that are arcade games or other console games. That's fine and good. I'm I'm I am enjoying the ones I've played. I got that ease just to play Burger Time, but generally I actually avoid those. It's the the games that they put on the system that are homebrew carts that were on other systems that they then you know transmitted transferred over to their carts so like i'm playing xeno crisis that was a genesis homebrew game that now is on a bunch of different formats it's excellent it's kind of that top down um like smash tv almost but with an aliens feel to it uh there also is a, an indie arcade collect or an indie game collection that came out and that's a whole bunch of other like nes homebrews and stuff all thrown together on a cart i'm playing that nonstop. i think i just want to start playing a bunch of homebrew stuff i'm, I'm now more interested i even looked online and found like a goonies uh, in television homebrew game, but it's 50 bucks for the cart if you can find it. It's out of print, so it means I'm going to pay like $130 for a cart of a Goonies port for the Intellivision, but man, I think I, I think I've finally become too nerdy for my own good. I, I, think, I think I'm too far <laughs> in that in that angle on this. I got to go back to painting miniatures. I really, I, like, I love the idea of, of having, you know, those homebrews available to play on those systems, and there's a lot out there for that we've seen in stores here around Indy where it's like, uh, companies have put their homebrew games on like Super NES cartridges or or Genesis cartridges and, you know, like four or five of them or something like that. And so you can just play them like that off of an original cartridge. And that's that's a cool idea. But I we've talked about it before with Evercade, you know, actually making these collections with these homebrew games and indie games that never got a chance to uh, couldn't experience it, obviously, back in the day. But to be able to play it on hardware that isn't just pulling up Steam and playing it on your PC or something like that. I, it's a really cool idea, and it gets them the attention that I think they they deserve and hardly ever get. Yeah, and, and it's I like those the most, but I can see why they still have to put out these collections of other things, because to even get your foot in the door, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to buy this you know, home console that has all these you know, games I've never heard of or unlicensed games, whatever. And then it's like, well, we also have a cart that has Double Dragon. You're like, oh, okay, well... I'll get it for that, or the Namco collection, or, you know, in my case, Data East, because I was like, I'm going to play Burger Time in every format I can. Great. So, you know, it's neat. I'm definitely going to pick up a few more cartridges. They, they put out, like, two or three carts every few months, so I'm sure I'll end up picking up more of them uh, at some point. But because Billy's not here, I'm going to send you my old handheld, Evercade, so, so someday we can right. cover Lynx games, because I want to cover a Lynx game, and damn it, that's the only way we're going to get to do it, because I'm not buying a Lynx. But... You know what? Let's not even get too more excited. No one cares about the Evercade but me. And uh, until we get to start talking about the Amico when it comes out, let's just push on. And we'll oh, that's, I was going to ask: Is this what you're doing? And is this what you're buying? Because the Amico is obviously just dead in the water at this point. Oh uh, no, I, I actually really wanted this anyway. But yes, I'm going to buy the Intellivision collection for it because the Amico is never coming <laughs> out. Uh, and maybe some of those games that were coming out for the Amico that are never going to to see uh, actual. You know, release on the system because it's never coming out like that really cool vector looking AD&D game or the the redone even the redone asteroids or not asteroids uh, redone astro smash I'd play that maybe they'll put those out in one of these carts that's the only way I see them ever seeing the light of day unless they're just on steam but a game that's not been released on the Evercade a game that is not showing up on steam and will in no way be on the Amico is the game we're going to talk about today incredible crisis for the Sony PlayStation
When I worked at Electronics Boutique, all I did towards, especially when the PlayStation came out, is any game that came in that only gave us one copy. I knew I had to at least see what it was. Now, sometimes it's just a bad game. Bubsy 3D, get one copy, not a shock. Other times it was games where you're like, how come we only got one, actually two copies of Mega Man 8, right? Like a game you figured would get more play, it didn't, whatever. But then there would always get these like budget titles, not quite super budget titles where they're like $10, $15, but games were worth 20 to 20, 20 to $30. They were games I'd never heard of. And at the time, you know, you have to remember there wasn't a, a PlayStation network. There wasn't a, a Switch network or any of the places to buy these games for cheap. You know, now you go to any of your online uh stores in any of the current consoles and you can find a million games for five dollars or less that are you know these bizarre like simulators of things you wouldn't even think need to have a game and, and instead on the playstation you'd have to wait and find like a weird budget game to meet that uh, need so every time there was a bizarre little game i would pick it up and say like oh let's see what this is maybe it's fun maybe it's just weird for the sake of being weird but there was a, a time period where i felt like there were a lot of really good, bizarre little games that came out. So, like, uh, Irritating Stick was out on the PlayStation. That was basically a, a version of a Japanese game show that was kind of like those games at the carnival where you, you have to move a metal, like, rod around a maze and not hit the sides where you get shocked, you know? Um, and then there were there were other, like, you know, 5 to $10 shooters and stuff. But Incredible Crisis came out. It actually had, like, the most basic box ever. The U.S. version of this game just has like a yellow box with like a drawing of a head uh, that has smoke coming out of the top of it. And it's just called Incredible Crisis. Never heard of it. Didn't see anything about it in many magazines. So I knew I had to buy it. And after the first five minutes, I knew this was a game that I was going to review and I was going to talk about when I used to run a website doing that years and years ago. So I'm very excited to go back and revisit it now, like 20 years later. I was going to say, I think we we both have a, a, a fondness it's actually going to say fetish. Well, <laughs> let's go true. with that. We we both have a fetish for weird Japanese PlayStation games. Uh, I I don't know when it happened, but it I don't know if it was like Final Fantasy VII or Parappa or, or around that time. But it just seemed like suddenly uh, there was an just a large influx of weird ass Japanese either uh, rhythm games, you know, stuff like this. Or just just really weird one-offs that you you know like you said you just get like one copy of it and that was that was basically the only copy that ever got to the United States for some of these it seemed like it was just nothing but there was they came in and there was a really cool time there where I just enjoyed going to the video store or GameStop or Babbage's or wherever and just there would always be some weird ass game that I had never seen any previews for. It looked Japanese as hell, as hell, and I knew that I really I, I needed to play that, and it was always like twenty or thirty dollars. <laughs> there was some real real gems in there, and I remember seeing Incredible Crisis, like you just saw it on the shelf. And no one had ever heard of it. I think I'd seen one picture in a in a Game Fan magazine of where he was like the one of the games where you're going down the street in a stretcher. And no one really, even in the magazine, knew how to describe it then. And the the back of the box really didn't even seem to know how to describe the game. It just it looked like a a big mess. And I was like, I want that game. And I was absolutely not disappointed <laughs> that I got that game. It's it's such a it's such a treat. Well, it's it's the kind of game that even though it is single player, it's so bizarre, and the the game changes constantly as you're playing it that. It's fun to watch. There aren't too many games that are honestly fun to watch. I, I mean, there's some games that, that I like to watch people play on Twitch, but I like to watch them, 
you know, fail at them. Or I like to watch someone get through something that I know is very difficult and I'll watch them speed run a game or whatever. But this is just fun to watch as if it was a television show. Because it is it is nonstop, uh, not what you'd expect it to be ever. Level to level, the gameplay changes somewhat. The story doesn't make any real sense because it's so based in mundane life that, of course, all this weird stuff has to happen. It is, it is fascinating. So... While I hope we do a good job explaining this, I highly recommend everybody, you know, it's gonna be hard to find a copy of Incredible Crisis. I don't think it's available on the PlayStation Network, but I, I, we cannot do this game justice. Uh, if you cannot play it, at least go watch a long play of it, which is because, only an hour. I mean, you're, you're yeah. not gonna waste a lot of time with a long play. Yeah, no matter how good a job we do of describing this, there's nothing that beats actually watching this game or playing it and seeing the things that are on the screen happen because it's just. It, it, you're right. It is just incredible to watch this game, and it is even crazier to even be playing it. There were times back in the day when when I was playing some of these stages, uh, especially one that we'll get to, that I'm just like, I cannot believe that this is even happening. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know which one you're talking about, but it could meet several of them, to be fair, depending on if you mean you can't believe they put it in the game because it seems wildly inappropriate, or you can't believe they put it in the game because it's the least fun thing in the entire game and they do it many times. We're going yeah, to get yeah. into some detail on these, uh, but but first, the, the basics of the game. It came out in 1999 in Japan, unsurprisingly, but then it came out, for whatever reason, in 2000, everywhere else. Uh, it was developed by Polygon Magic and published by Titus, at least in the U.S., and the first thing you'll notice when you load it up, aside from that, you know, it's clearly this, like, 3D action-looking game is that the soundtrack to the game is all ska it's all this upbeat like party ska in fact the entire soundtrack is by the tokyo ska paradise orchestra which i know nothing about but their name is exactly what you'd expect it sounds like you're listening to you know 19 or i guess like the early 2000s alternative radio or in my area at least was nothing but you know no doubt and all these like happier ska bands that were you know terry pop and daddies well um, yeah yeah that whole time frame you, you've got all yeah. those bands that were that were at real big fish like oh, this this kind of ska it's not the older slower yeah. ska and it's not whatever ska is now because i don't listen to whatever ska is now but but at this time uh fortunately or unfortunately was like right after i had uh my ska phase which is unfortunate that i had a ska phase but i certainly <laughs> did uh, and, I didn't know you had a ska face. Oh my, oh, I was, I was obnoxious new. about it. I was obnoxious about a ska face. I had a plaid hat or ska face. Ska, oh my ska face. Yeah, I had a plaid hat and a, and a bomber jacket with buttons all over it. I'm telling you, I went, I go full on whatever I'm into. And, uh, and I was way, I was the, one of the obnoxious ska guys. Not, not a, not a good look for me, but you know, that means I, I have an appreciation for ska when I hear it, even if I'm not a big fan. And this is the kind of like just happy party ska. It's good for what it is. There's not words in this. It's all just straight music. And it actually matches this game pretty well because the the basics of this game is you're following the daily life of the Tanamatsuri family. And I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Maybe Tanatsuri doesn't matter. They don't say their name in the in the game itself. Uh, but it is their grandmother's birthday. And so everyone has to make sure they get the things they need to to get home in time to have a nice dinner with grandma. That's what she wants for her birthday is have a nice big family dinner with a special menu that's you know something she likes to have every year on her birthday. So just, you know, okay, that's the start of the game. Let's go off on our day. So the first section of the game, you're playing Tanio, who's the father, and he goes to work. And this is the intro of the game. The game hasn't started yet. 
you get to work and all of a sudden, you know, you're at work, you're having kind of a, a sad, he's kind of having a rough day. So they have calisthenics, which I guess is a thing people did in offices. Uh, maybe they still do in Japan, but we definitely didn't do it in my office. But basically everyone gets up and they do, you know, like stretches and stuff to music. And it becomes for the first level of the game, a dance game. Like any other, you know, watch the little cursor fall across the screen right to, or yeah, right to left and then hit the buttons at a certain time when you see it says like a triangle when it hits the line and it hits the line and it makes him do his stretches. And you do that for about three or four rounds. It goes faster and slower. It's nothing crazy. If you've played any rhythm game, it's pretty much straight to the point, but it's the first level of the game. So I was like, okay, this whole game is going to be like a dancing game or this whole game is going to be something like this. Let's find out. Well, the dancing section ends. And of course, you kind of start seeing the game this is going to be because in the background, you watch this wrecking ball at some other building in the background. And as soon as the dance section's over, the wrecking ball slams into their building by mistake, causing the wrecking ball to rip off of the machine uh, that's, that's swinging it around. And it now chases him through the office. And he has to run from the, his office area down the hallway to try to get to the elevator in time. So the second level of the game completely changes the style of game. Instead, you are running at the camera and you have to jump and duck at certain times and make sure you're hitting the speed button uh, to run as faster than the ball, but you can't hit it too much because every time you hit the speed button, it uses up some of your energy drink meter that is the bottom of the screen. So you have to kind of time his run correctly, not to go all the way out, but also to make sure you use up as much as you can and jump and duck over these little platforms. It is it, The game continues down this path where every level is a different mini game, like what you'd see in WarioWare or anything similar, but it's attached to the story that's just about everything that can go wrong going wrong for this family to levels of, uh, you know, it's it like that's a reasonable thing that just happened to someone's life as he was at work where he did stretches all of a sudden a wrecking ball came through his office and he ran to the elevator. Compared to other things that happen in the rest of the story for this game, that's normal. Like people shrink down to tiny sizes. There's a crazy like bank robbing spy group and i mean it's almost like i don't want to give away the story itself because that is kind of the fun of this game is to see how these things all connect and to see you know what kind of craziness they use to tie it together but you kind of have to a little bit so i guess if you don't want to know what happens through this family pause this go watch the hour-long <laughs> walkthrough let's play of the game and then come back and listen to us talk about it because i really want to get into some of the specific mini games because they are, as Jeremy kind of hinted at earlier, some of them go completely off the rails. Obviously, we're not going to talk about all of them because there's a there's a good amount here. I think pretty much any section in this game really only lasts like what three minutes max. Some of them are so and, short that you're you're not even sure they should be a full game. You're like, well, like yeah. that one where you're running down the hallway from the uh, from the wrecking ball. Sure, if you make a mistake and you do have a set number of lives, and if you don't get to a save point, which normally there's a save point between every like five levels or so um you have to start back at the beginning of the game your last save point uh so you know you can't die over and over again you have to kind of pay attention but still if you once you know what you're doing running through that office area is a like a 30 second game yeah it's uh it's you know it's what it is what it is and, and just doing the first few little mini games you'll get an idea of what's going on uh, you will either love it or you will hate it there's no in between for this it's either you love ridiculous things or you don't. <laughs> and Incredible Crisis is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. The story, as you said, just nonsense. The characters, nonsense. The things that happens to them, nonsense. The story is there, but it's connected in like the loosest strings that's ever been connected to a story. And it's it's really just one of those things like you're you're just amazed as as each thing happens. Like it starts off fairly cartoonish with him running through the office, getting chased by a boulder, 
falling down an elevator. All of this could have been a Looney Tunes cartoon. It's the things that kind of start after that uh, that really sets the tone for the rest of the game. Well, the, the, even before you get to some of the crazier games, after you, I guess we, we should kind of go through this story-wise just to kind of explain here getting each piece. So there's the the office calisthenics, then you have to run from through, through the hallway from the Wrecking Ball. Yeah, the elevator meeting game essentially requires you to push the button as fast as you can while dodging items that fall on top of your head so that you can slow this elevator that's falling to the, to the bottom. Uh, you then, for whatever reason, the elevator gets knocked out and you jump out of the elevator and you're now doing this balance game on a flagpole. That's not very exciting, but it's fine. Uh, then, the story has it where you, you basically fall safely to the ground. You use, use this flagpole and fall through some of the, like, um whatever they call those things that are outside of restaurants, like, like uh, an awning, uh, several awnings uh, to fall through, like an any cartoon where they slow their fall. He gets on the ground, then he gets like hit in the head by a vase or something, and he ends up getting picked up by an ambulance. The next minigame requires you answer true-false questions in an ambulance. And some <laughs> of the questions... This is where I was, like, I was like, what in the world is is going on with this game? Well, and you uh, have it, to answer yeah. 12 in a, it, it totally correct. You can get them wrong in the middle. And some of the questions are easy, like what's one plus one or what's five times five. But then other questions are like, in 1922, who won the you know long jump in the, <laughs> the Olympics? And you're like, what? <laughs> and you're just supposed to like, they give you a name, but you're like, sure, true, false. It's all true, false questions, which is good, but it's still just like, this is crazy. While the whole time, the only view you're seeing is this, if you're laying in a, in a stretcher in, a, in, a, in an ambulance and two guys are just standing above you asking questions and cheering when you get them right. Um, so, you, so you get through that section, which I, I have to say is one of my favorites because it is so out there. And then it's that stretcher game that you mentioned you saw in a magazine where it's, you know, you're on a stretcher, you're just driving down the road uncontrollably, you have to dodge left and right and hit the button to like jump over things. Pretty standard arcade stuff. Uh, but that leads to what is the most incredible minigame to me in this game. Uh, after you get through the stretcher, you end up meeting this woman in red. And she, reappear, she appears through other reasons in this game later on. But immediately, even though you're supposed to be, you know, you're at work, you're trying to get ready to go home to your family, your wife, your grandma, your mom's birthday or her mom's birthday. I'm not sure which grandma it is. But you meet this woman in red and all of a sudden you're like, I need to get to know this lady in red. So Taneo then takes her to a Ferris wheel. And the next game just shows the outside of a Ferris wheel. And the whole point of the mini X skinny game is to, uh, if you hit the you know, X button, she's like, ooh, a little to the left. And so then you move the controller to the left some, and you hit the X button again, she's like, ooh, a little up. And you keep moving it around until eventually you get to the right point, and she makes incredible sounding moaning as you pound on that button as hard as you can while you watch her meter build up and her moans <laughs> get louder and louder. And then you do the same thing over and over. You, you do the same, like, find her pressure points probably four times to the level. I am so glad I played this alone. When I played it for this podcast, I would have felt really awkward trying to play this around everyone in my family, even though if they were watching the whole thing, they'd understand it was bizarre. If you just walked in the room with someone's playing that, you would just walk right back out again. Well, I, of course, this time I played it by myself. But as as a kid or a teenager, when I did have, when I originally bought this, I was playing this with my two cousins watching, uh, you know, one, the boy, he was, what, eight or nine and you know he's he always played games with me or whatever, and and it was his uh, sister who was a couple of years younger, and you know for what was already just this innocent little kind of cartoony game that was happening, basically turns into a fucking adult game. You know it doesn't show anything, but what's implied obviously is that you know he's he's doing some stuff to this lady in red on the Ferris wheel. 
and she is uh, she's letting you know if you've done it well or not. I was sitting there like, oh my god, <laughs> I, I think I, you know, I didn't even know if they knew what was going on, but I was, I was almost like, I think you guys need to leave. <laughs> like, I don't know what I've gotten you into. Like, this is, I think it's like a teen rating. So, you know, I just thought it was just going to be whatever. But yeah, this is very, very risque, even for what what's happening. You know, it's, like I said, you can't see anything. But just hearing it, fuck, you were talking about pounding the buttons. I'm sure there were other people pounding other things during this fucking thing. It's, uh, it is, it is a thing that is, that is in a video game on the PlayStation. And to this day, I still can't believe for what got censored back in the day on the PlayStation. And before that, how this made it through, I have no clue. Well, you know, when, when this came out, I would have been in my twenties, early twenties. So it wasn't the same thing, but when I was younger and we bought Golgo 13, a game we reviewed and did not think very highly of, uh, but there's a scene in Golgo 13 where, you know, you meet this spy and then you go up into a hotel room and like the outside view is just like a window from the street and you see two people get together and then the curtains go down or whatever. And even as a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, how'd they put that in the game? And meanwhile, this game, you're just watching some, you're, you're looking at the outside of a of a, of a Ferris wheel, you're listening to some dude, some lady just screaming in pleasure. <laughs> you're like, wow, that, this is drastically different. If I would have been nine or 10 when someone was playing this, it would have blown my mind. It was still blowing my mind enough at the age I did play it at. But yeah, so so you finish that section, and for whatever reason, she jumps onto a helicopter uh, from that point and throws a bomb back in the Ferris wheel, which you then jump out of, and it blasts you into the helicopter. The helicopter knocks you off, and you end up in Tokyo Bay for a series of games where you have to uh, help stop the uh, this alien mothership from being attacked by the Japanese Navy. Uh, so then it becomes almost like an inverse missile command. They're firing up from the ground from these ships at the uh, at this UFO at the top of the screen, and you're basically moving a cursor around to shoot the missiles down that the 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 Navy is shooting at the spaceship. It doesn't really explain why you're saving the spaceship. By the way, you figure if you saw a giant spaceship and your Navy was fighting it, you would think you're going to help your own Navy. But he gets a phone call from his daughter who says, "Hey." Please stop them from shooting this UFO, and so uh, so Teneo then takes on the uh, the Navy, and then uh, you get through this amazing action game. If you like this sort of thing, uh, it's a little long, but not too long to play this inverse missile command, and then you go to what is kind of a stumbling block, kind of a, oh a a downer of a game. Now most of these games, like we mentioned, are fairly short. Some of them are about two to three minutes long, and some of these games feel like, even though they probably are only three minutes long, that they are twenty minutes long of a very basic mini game. And this next game, uh, mini game, involves you basically getting a ride from a man on a boat. And your character sees that there's like a, a a plug in the bottom of the boat, so he lifts it out like an idiot, and of course it starts leaking. So the next 20 minutes of your life, even though it's probably only three, you're just playing this game where you mash on a button and and build, you know, pour water out of a boat with a bucket, and you just watch a guy yell at you while you do it for, for what feels like an eternity. It is the worst game in this game, and it feels like it takes forever. Uh, but But it is, you know, the first time you play this game, you get to that level, you're like, okay, you know what, that wasn't fun. But whatever, I've had a good time up to now. I can get, I understand some of these games aren't going to be hits. Some of them are going to be major misses, and that was a major miss. But it does end the story of Taneo. At that point, you are now taking over the day from his wife, Etsuko, who is now at the bank getting, uh, getting, you know, doing her errand. She went to the grocery store, gets stuff for dinner for grandma, and she goes to the bank. And all of a sudden, there are these people robbing the bank, which are people in wolf masks, and also the lady in the red dress who was on the Ferris wheel earlier. 
Um, you have to then kind of do a stealth mission. It's a very simple stealth mission, thank God. I, I normally don't like stealth where it doesn't belong. I think we talked about that uh, on the last uh, last episode, but or a recent episode in any event. Uh, th- this was not too, too bad. You can kind of see a top view where you can see where the, the criminals are watching. You just kind of hit the button really fast to move her along her path when they aren't looking. Not too bad, and that's okay with me, but they do catch her at the end of that minigame, and they have her help her with the bank heist. Uh, they have her help them with the bank heist by switching to, you know, they get her in the vault and she has to take this like golden statue they're trying to steal, a golden pig. So it then switches to almost like a um, Raiders of the Lost Ark minigame where she has to have the right amount of weights from her groceries and stuff on one side of the scale to balance it out so she can take the pig and not set off this weight sensor. Something <laughs> equally dumb. Uh, again, I like it. It's it's It was kind of chaotic, but it's a neat little minigame uh, for what it is. And then you have a, inexplicably, and they do explain it in the game, sort of, but even then it's kind of a, a why are they doing this? Uh, after that, you then do like a music game with the guys in the wolf masks. I'm not quite sure why, but you do. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, you switch to a another level where like you're running towards the screen and dodging stuff, except this time she's on a snowboard and you have to avoid the people in the, ma- in the wolf masks. Then there's a level that's just called Looks Like Top Gun. And it, in fact, does look like Top Gun. You're you're escaping from this military base, uh, flying basically like in through this tunnel while gates and stuff are in the way, almost like they're flying out of the Death Star, uh, and you're just supposed to dodge uh, other planes and gates and stuff. It's kind of neat. But when she gets out, there's a giant teddy bear attacking the base. So she decides she has to help save the base from this giant teddy bear by flying around on the last level of that section, Bear Wars. Uh, where she flies, she has to fly around like a, a you know, uh, like a, a jet shooter, air combat or something. But uh, you know, just just flying around shooting this this bear till eventually it blows up, ending her story, and she ends up taking the the jet back to her house to get ready for dinner with her grandma. And that starts the third member of the family section, Suyoshi, their son, who is walking around. He ends up seeing this bear getting destroyed. He doesn't know his mom's the one doing it, but somehow in watching that, these sparks come and hit him and shrink him down to the size of uh, of like a an ant or a little bigger than an ant. And then he has to do one of the other worst levels in the game. Uh, I didn't like the Bilgewater level, but it's very simple. I felt like it was just, it was just repet- repetition. It wasn't too hard. This game's actually really hard because even though it's very simple, if you make a mistake, you lose almost all your progress. Uh, this is the climb out of the anthill level. My least favorite level in the game. Uh, even worse than the, the Bilgewater levels, but thankfully it only happens this one time. But this is another game that it should be fast, but you're basically climbing out of this anthill, but as you're slowly walking up, you have to move left and right to avoid what is essentially like a like a like um, an avalanche of sand that would push you back down. But you're so slow and you react so slowly. If you accidentally get hit, it knocks you down like almost to the very bottom every time. This game... Uh, this mini game in the game is another one where like, I'm glad you say right before it, because I guarantee you, because uh, I did this time that when I played it the first time, I probably got to this level and stopped. I was like, I'm going to come back to this later because I'm annoyed by this level. It's it it's weird because like when the game is is firing on all cylinders, it's these very quick, uh, high, you know, fast paced mini games that you're you're constantly having to respond to, press buttons, uh, react to. But when it it, it kind of slows it down, it's it's not 
quite the same. It's, it's just, you know, some of them, the, some of the slower ones aren't bad. Like uh, there's one earlier, I think you forgot to mention where, or maybe you did uh, this entire last, you know, 10 minutes or so just sounded like we were both on crack. <laughs> and anybody listening to this is probably thinking the same thing. But there was one where the uh, the wife had to measure things and you had to like pick between, uh, you know, the, the certain things for the, uh, to make sure that, you know, when she picked up the golden pig, that she wasn't smashed by spikes. It's the Indiana Jones moment. She's got to put something on there that weighs this the same. So you're having to weigh out things that she has in her purse. And that is an overly long, if you don't quite know what you're doing, it is an overly long little mini game that doesn't really fit in with what's already been happening or will happen right after that. I get sometimes, maybe they just thought they'd slow it down or something like that give you a second to breathe, but it's not really in with the theme of the game and what makes this game so damn special. If it's just, it, it needs to go. It needs to constantly be going. Things need to be happening. Nothing needs to make sense, but it all needs to be going and you need to be responding to it in some weird way of pressing buttons. It's stuff like this that really makes you realize just how mediocre a lot of these mini games are without like, you know, the craziness that that's happening around it. Well, the, I think the entire section as Suyoshi, the sun is a low point. It is. It, it's the worst. It it's slows the worst it down. Game. You've got the anthill, which is slow. Then you've got this thing where you're supposed to climb carefully through a spider web. That also is another one where like you can lose a lot of progress and it just seems really slow and not interesting. Um, well, all of his is except for this first one, all of his is repeated from the dads, I think. Or, or it's and, it's a reskin, basically, way. right? Yeah. So the the spider web is supposed to be the equivalent of the the flagpole. Uh, then, unfortunately, there's another rowboat section. It's the same guy, but for whatever reason, he's shrunk down to the size of an ant, and he's got the same exact thing. The kid pulls the, the plug out, and you have another like. 25 minutes it feels like of built of, of pouring water out of a boat and then you have a, a level where this grasshopper uh runs after you and you're just running towards a screen which is exactly like the second level that the dad had and that's it for him after that he gets home uh and and he ends up back at his house and his grandmother sees that he's the size of a pea and picks him up or whatever and that's it like his five levels are the least exciting levels of the whole game i i mean honestly yeah it, it's really getting through the first the the taneo stages is kind of like the high point of the game. There's some other okay games, but like that's like from start to finish, like that was nuts. And after that, it just it kind of, you know, the mom stuff is okay. Siyoshi stuff is is not great at all. And after Siyoshi, uh, you get him back home into to, to the tiny Siyoshi with his grandma. Then it switches to the daughter Ririko. Uh, and this is where there's a game that they definitely cut out of the American one um, because she's supposed to be at school. And there's a kind of a, actually I like this game. It's like oh, one of those I was going to ask games. like was there something cut out because yes. there's an obvious point in this where it seems like there's there's something that needs to be there but isn't. Yeah, so she's at school and she wants to leave early uh, to go shopping for whatever. So the the first game with her is kind of like one of those sliding puzzles where you know like like there's 16 one through 15 but it's a 16. Uh, spot square and you have to slide the puzzle pieces around to get everything in order with the sliding puzzles in this case you have to get her from like the top of uh, top left of the room to the bottom right of the room without the teacher who's at the front you know doing his teaching seeing her if he sees someone move when he turns around he'll throw a, a an eraser at them doing damage if you take too many hits you know your level's over you lose a life you start again i like that i like that kind of mini game it's it's still very simple it's in something you've seen before but it's different than anything else in the game so far so i was like all right good we're, we're getting back up there because i really didn't like playing as suyoshi playing as rear seems better uh then her second game is involving her finding sale items at the makeup store Hmm. It's not bad. Still different than anything else, 
but it's kind of boring. It's literally like, uh, it's kind of like the weighing thing from the mother, just in a, yeah. in a different different way. Yeah, instead of instead of weighing items that are grocery items, instead it's like there's 17 different li- mi- lipsticks, and she has to find the right one. So you scroll through the listing of the lipsticks, and you, sometimes it's the color you can tell, sometimes it's the shape, and then you have to still make sure that the name on it matches the name you're supposed to look at. It it's fine. Uh, it's it's based on time, so you have to make sure you get so many in, in the amount of time. Uh, it either way, it's not great. Uh, then there is a a Simon game. I like this one too. There they there's a tiny UFO that she finds. And she determines that the giant UFO that she had earlier asked her dad to save, this is why she asked that, because she found out that this, uh, first off, this is all going all over the place with time, you find out as you're playing this, but um, she's like, oh, I want to save, you know, th- this baby's going to summon her, you know, the giant spaceship, and it's a game of Simon, traditional Simon, you know, red, red, blue, and you have to repeat red, red, blue. Uh, that's fine. I like Simon in any form in a game, so I was enjoying that. Then, unfortunately, after you play Simon, you're like, okay, hers, her game's been all right, I'm enjoying this, another goddamn boat level. Uh, you have the, the, for this the last is the game's time. like recurring joke that it apparently thinks is hilarious. It's a uh, spoiler. It is not, uh, you know, I kind of laughed when it came up the second time with the, the kid, but when it came up a third time here, I was like, Oh, you are pushing it. Incredible crisis. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is, it is not good. The, the game I mentioned, I forgot to mention there, there was something in between uh, buying lipstick at the store and meeting this UFO where it looks like she's supposed to go into uh, like try out for some chorus or choir group. And then yeah, it's yeah. like, she's like, and I, that was fun and walks out or whatever and goes in, and finds this UFO. There was a game that was in the original version, apparently that had a lot of kanji and they couldn't translate it right. So they were like, you know what? Forget it. Just drop it. We don't uh, care. Okay. I, I've always kind of wondered about that because it's very obvious that something you know, when you go in there, it's supposed to be a stage transition, and then it just kind of cuts back to her friend showing up, and it's just like, what, what happened there? You yeah. know, even for a game that makes zero sense, you're kind of like, ah, something should have happened right there. Yeah, now you you can tell that something's missing, and it was. I, I've not. I'm sure I can find a, a you know go online and find a video of it, but just knowing that it was it was intentionally cut was enough. I moved on from that. Uh, there's one more stage where she then, after uh, saving the UFO or getting the UFO to signal its parent or whatever. Uh, you know the U- the the UFO has decided to help her get home by riding her on a on a bike like she's an ET, and she's riding towards the screen while this wrecking ball flies behind her, uh, and <laughs> and pretty much gets her back home for everyone gets home in time for Grandma's birthday, uh, and then it kind of shows you what happened. To everything else, you see this UFO flying around, you see an asteroid heading towards the Earth, and it says to be continued. And of course, there has not been an Incredible Crisis two anywhere, Japan or here. I would love to see one, uh, but since I'm pretty sure. Uh, people listening to the podcast, there's probably less than five that have heard of this game even. I'm sure that there's a reason that this sequel never came out. This game is, you know, it's it's fun to find games that I would, oh, this game's so weird. And we really boil it down, the actual, like, yeah, sure, there's a weird setting, but the gameplay is pretty normal. Like, a lot of music games, Space Channel 5, like, oh, yeah, the story's pretty weird, but the basic game is Simon. You know, they, they, they say up, up, left, down, and you repeat up, up, left, down. And same with Parappa. Any of those games have these weird settings but the actual core gameplay is not crazy. This game is is maybe one of the weirdest, like, almost, like, haphazardly thrown together, but in a way that still gives it a lot of charm. It's one of the weirdest games I've ever played. And and to put further context into it, you got to remember this is back in the PlayStation days. You know, these days, everyone knows that Japan is crazy. You just kind of accept it. You've seen some crazy shit on the internet. With anime, whatever, you just kind of accept it. Back then, we weren't quite as clued in. 
So when these crazy games from Japan started filtering over here to the West, it was, it was insanity. We were just like, are they all on drugs? Like, what is this? It makes zero sense. And, you know, it, it, it's just in, in a crazy, crazy fucking way of playing a game. I had never played anything like it. So it, it was even more, what's, what's, give me, give me a word. Give me an, a, an alternative to, to crazy. It is, it's so strange. Yeah, all right, And, and, sure. and different, it is, I was going to say wacky, but that doesn't help either. It's, it's just strange. It's a strange game, because you wouldn't, at this point in time, you wouldn't have a game that was just this collection of mini games that are tied together like this. Like, they did exist in some form, but again, this is the kind of stuff you'd see without some of the wacky backstory on, you know, like, PC freeware titles or something like you wouldn't see this on the PlayStation because you had to pay money to get a disc pressed and put in packaging and get it shipped to stores like this. This stuff didn't come out too often. So whenever you found something that did, you had to pay attention and you had to give it a shot. And again, more often than not, you'd be like, yeah, OK, this is a weird game, but not really like that. That uh, irritating stick game I mentioned when, when you get past the weirdness of the fact that it's like, you know, there's a guy cheering and all this other stuff the whole time. And but what you're really playing, you're like, oh, I'm just moving the stick through a maze like that's not a crazy game when you really think about the mechanics this is crazy the whole way through yeah and this actually kind of reminds me uh, we, we covered panic on the sega cd yes. not too long ago i thought was that a bonus show yes okay so yeah if you're you're on the main feed you didn't you didn't hear that one but as a bonus show we covered panic for the sega cd and that one as well is just a collection of weird shit that is just strung together by a very basic plot and I never played that as a kid, so I never got to experience that. Billy did, so he, you know, you kind of understood that this was a thing that apparently Japanese people like to make or play. And then, you know, once the PlayStation hit and all of that stuff started coming over here, mostly in the guise of rhythm-based games with ins insane stories attached to them. Uh, but with this one, it's you're actually kind of... I don't know. It's more like you're controlling the action in some parts. It's a rhythm game in others. It's a it's bad mini games the rest of the way, and it, it just everything that's happening around it makes it stand out to me because it is just a a special game for just the amount of insane. Well, and yeah, there's. I'm still trying to think of another game that's current that's like this, and I, I'm not thinking of anything. I'm sure there are some. Like I said, you can go on the Switch eShop and find. You know, 2,000 games that came out last week. But but this, in a time where you had to pay for a physical version of things, I mean, on the on the previous systems, on anything with a cart, this would never have made it out. It's too expensive to make cartridges. This would never have, have made it out on anything before this. Like, the, the, the discs kind of make it so things like this could occur if they were willing to make these budget games. And, uh, and some of those are my favorite games from the time. I mean, the, 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 just the most noteworthy games because they were so bizarre and they gave them a shot. Uh, even though, I'm, I, like I said, I, I only think we saw one copy of this and I bought it and I never saw another one. Um, almost nobody had, had heard of this that I've talked to, so I'm, I'm excited that we're covering it. But if, again, I think listening back to this when I edited it, I'm going to realize we were just rambling for a half an hour because it's hard to describe this game. I really recommend you go and watch the full Let's Play. It's going to take just as long to listen to this episode. But... Even after you watch that, you're still not really going to be sure exactly what you just saw. Yeah, I'd almost recommend going and watching that before you listen to this, because otherwise this, this is just going to sound like we're insane. But, other, you know, it's still, though, it's 
I, I kind of recommend you go out and play it. You know, find it on an emulator or, or ROM or something like that. I, I don't know what the price is these days going on eBay and stuff like that for this, and I don't think it's super expensive. But, man, just there's this is an experience. If you want to experience some weird-ass shit, go out and find an Incredible Crisis and just play it and just let it wash over you because that's what that's what happens whenever you play Incredible Crisis. It, it just, all the insanity washes over you. You're just kind of, you leave this world, you leave this plane for a minute and you get sucked into the insanity that is that game. So I can't recommend this game enough. It was almost, I would almost put it up there with a life-changing experience for me back when I played this. Uh, it's just, uh, it's something I will never forget. And I, I'm glad we finally got to cover it for the podcast. That's our rambling thoughts on Incredible Crisis, a, a game that you should really try. If you can find a copy, I did check uh, just now on eBay, you can find a copy for several hundred dollars. So if you could find it in some other fashion to play, maybe try that instead, because it is the kind of game you're going to play maybe once or twice, unless you get a crowd of people over, or just watch that Let's Play. Again, you can find an hour-long walkthrough, well worth your time to give it a shot. But maybe you're thinking, Jeremy, I don't care about Incredible Crisis. I don't care about anything else except for getting you to answer a question that I've had in my mind for months. How would I do that? And the answer is you go to Retrovania.net. You scroll all the way to the bottom past links to all our cool social media stuff and our Discord channel and everything else we do. And at the very bottom, there's a question form. And you can use that form to send questions to us that we'll answer on the show like we're going to do right now. Oh, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. I need you to prepare your body for questions i am i'm always prepared for these questions sometimes they're deep thoughtful questions sometimes they're about peace so let's see what we've got today well i was talking to myself but oh. i'm good to know <laughs> that you're ready as well uh but our first question actually comes from late to gaming i told you we would read your other question and we are going to get it get to it now because i think it's actually a really good question and he says uh, this is about play day one versus waiting since you guys play a lot of retro games, you aren't strangers to playing games well after people have stopped talking about them. For current games, though, how much do you think that being part of the conversation adds to the experience? I've noticed it a lot with games like Elden Ring or Metroid Dread. It almost seems like being able to talk about the games with others who are playing it as well is a big part of the experience. Thanks for the show and keeping us entertained. I mean, I think that matters a lot. And... and... Elden Ring's kind of like the the perfect example, right? Because that's a game where not only are people constantly finding new little hidden things or trying to figure out the best builds for stuff or talk about, you know, I, I was able to beat this boss. How, you know, what am I doing differently that you're doing because I can't beat it or whatever. Uh, any of the From Software games are fun to play when they're a group. Also, that game has a built-in, in this case, it's very optional, but a built-in multiplayer. So if you wanted to play it when it's new and have a chance to get people to kind of be at the same level you are going through the, the game with you, it's fun to, to be able to play something like that. Metroid Dread was more, for me at least, I wanted to make sure I finished it before it got, quote, spoiled. I don't know how you really spoil a Metroid game necessarily, but, uh, you know, so people could tell you how to beat a boss or something that you may not have recognized was a secret or something. So I, I like playing those things when they're new so they don't get spoiled for me but not quite for the, the reason like an Elden Ring or something that has a big, um, you know, discussion area 
kind of built into that experience. But but for some games, I don't care. I, I don't play most games when they're new anymore. Uh, just I'll wait till they go on sale if it's something that I'm just not sure on or if it's something that's, that's uh, you know, I bought Red Dead Redemption. I bought it like the day it came out, and then I was like, I'll play it when I get to it. Because you're not going to spoil that for me. You can tell me the story. I don't care. It's more for me a game like that is about doing all the things you know, all the side quests. I want to do all the hunting quests, everything else. So I, I could wait for something like that. But generally, if it's a game that has either a, a huge significance for me, historically, like Metroid Dread did, or it's a game that's built around that kind of group, um, exploration group, group kind of uh, online <laughs> discussion that kind of drives it like Elden Ring, then I want to play them current. Uh, yeah, that's, I think that really goes without saying for a lot of from software games i know a lot of people really love getting those games at launch because they enjoy finding out all the things that the rest of the community is discovering as well because those games are so just obtuse in a lot of ways and over the the you know the months from release you know they're still finding new things and that's part of the game, I think. Now, I am not that big of a, a person with that stuff. You know, I kind of enjoy just coming in towards the end and, and doing stuff. It doesn't really bother me that much to not be part of the conversation. But there's still, you know, a, a thing here and there where I'm just like, man, I really feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a part of the game itself by not being part of the discussion or, or you know, that hype train that happens when a game releases. And unfortunately, these these days, it's not so much of a hype train. It's more of a disappointment train of a game that's not finished or doesn't have the stuff in it that needs to be there. But with Elden Ring, obviously, yeah, with, with those games, like it's so much fun to, to be able to discover that stuff with people as they're playing it, as it's found. And that's, that's a special thing that I, I think that's been lost from a lot of games and really about the only game that maybe from software and something besides like Breath of the Wild, you know, that was really fun. Yeah. One of the few things that, that I was really into was was being in that community and, and finding new and, and neat little places that no one else had found, you know, where the, the Kurok seeds or whatever those things were. Uh, it was it was a cool thing, you know, and, and it's it's definitely part. It should be part of a game's release and not just getting angry over it, which is is like I said, it's all too often these days. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a definitely a valid reason to to get in on a new game. It's it's just unfortunate that can, it can be such a gamble these days as to what you're going to be talking about if you're going to be happy about it or if you're going to be threatening developers' lives on Reddit or something like that. Well, and, and you know, we are, for this podcast, we're playing much of old games, but the fun is us talking about them, too. You know, like if it was just me by myself or you by yourself doing this podcast, I don't think it would be nearly as fun. I like the fact that we can kind of come to it. We don't really like to talk too much about our experience until we come on, unless it's something that's like, hey, guys, warning, this is going to happen at some point or whatever. But normally, you know, we we kind of save our comments, so it's fun to talk about it. So I can see why that's fun for any game if you can find people that want to play it to kind of get in on the ground floor. And for us, you know, it is like a lot of these games we're playing for the first time ourselves, and we are talking back and forth in our Discord discovering things as it goes. So that's kind of fun to be able to do with a game that is decades old at this point. You know, you just don't think that that would be a thing because obviously all of these games are documented to hell as on, on game facts and stuff like that. But these days, like we don't, I generally don't try to do that. I just kind of want to play them as we play them to see how far I can get, or if I can just bug you guys or something like that. 
but yeah, it's it, it's still something we're doing even to this day with with some of these games that we play for the first time. Uh, but thank you, Late to Gaming. That's a that's a cool question. That is something I've uh, wondered about myself. If people really enjoy doing that, and obviously they do. So yeah. Anyway, our next question is from Andrew P from Indianapolis. Uh-oh. I know that place. And he says, there's something in the air making us extra frisky. Oh, isn't there always? That's that, that's what they say about Indianapolis. Yeah, I, it's just it's how we live over here in Naptown. Anyway, he says, I discovered your podcast on Spotify when it popped up as a recommendation while listening to the Shovel Knight soundtrack. I soon binged every episode like a middle-aged woman discovering Law & Order SVU for the first time. You guys make me laugh, make me cry, and the whole gamut of emotion with your banter on my favorite nostalgia-filled pastime of retro video games. So with all the praise out of the way, it's time for my question. What retro or classic, as Jeremy P. succinctly puts it, game do you think deserves any moder- a, a modern remake? I'll go ahead and throw my two cents in with Xenogears, because that game was never finished to begin with. You're right. Side note, tell Jeremy G. I'm a fel- fellow Indianapolis in- Indianapolisian Indian I, you know, you live none there, of us you know. don't know. <laughs> I, none of us know at this point, you know. And I'm pretty sure I've delivered food to him before via DoorDash. Was your Paco's Tacos any good? We'll get back to this, but I'll let Jeremy answer. Well, I am very curious about these tacos. Um, you know, other than Goonies 2, which is always going to be my answer because it's one of the best games ever made, I know that there is a fairly, in the world of retro gaming, recent uh, like version of this game, but I would love to see them redo it. So the Kid Icarus game they put out in the 3DS that nobody played, even though they should have, it's way better than it has any right being, but it didn't need to be in 3D, and it would be great on the Switch, and they should redo it, and I would love to see that, along with the others. Like, just make a Kid Icarus collection. I want that. Um, and then again, Goonies 2, because it's one of the best games ever made. Oh, man, I Xenogears would be hella fun uh, to actually get a finished version of that. Uh, hell, just just to get a finished version of the translation uh, of that game so the story would actually make sense. That that would be up there with, you know, they just did Chrono Cross, the, the remake or remaster of that for the Switch and PlayStation and Xbox and stuff like that. But God, it didn't really need it. It was complete enough, and, you know, it was fine for what it was back then. But Xenogears, it was a mess. And it, it sorely needs some sort of re- modern re-release as like something that wasn't finished that would would do would make it a thousand times better if it got a new translation and and maybe some some things shoved back into it that wasn't there before. Yeah, that that's an that's an awesome uh, game to to have out there for it. As for DoorDash, you are correct, but that wasn't me. I've not had Paco's Tacos. Before I do, I do occasionally get DoorDash, and I am in Central Indiana, Indianapolis. So if you go around and you see another Jeremy G, it's possible you will you will get me. Now here is I'm going to introduce the most dangerous game that you can play. <laughs> I know of at least three Jeremy G's in the Indianapolis area. And I'm going to say, if you come up to my door with food from DoorDash and say, I want that semen grandpa patch, I will give you a free semen grandpa patch because I have one here. But there's a one in three chance that you're not talking or a two in three chance that you're not talking to me. 
And <laughs> that would be an incredibly awkward exchange for someone that has no idea what you're talking about. So uh, you better be damn sure if you want that semen grandpa patch, Andrew P. Uh, so it, it, consider it a challenge if you want to do that. So, and if you that, do, I would I demand you write in about it because I want to hear when you went to those other Jeremy G's <laughs> and said that to them <laughs> with their Paco's tacos. I, it's weird. There are like uh, there's I know two Jeremy Gregory's, which is insane because I have the worst name ever. Uh, and there is I think there's another Jeremy G out there. I don't know if you know when you DoorDash if it actually shows the full last name or whatever, but uh, th- there is a, a few of us here in Indianapolis alone. And uh, like I said, like I said, if you want to take that chance, go for it, Andrew. But thank you for writing in. Uh, I would love to see some of those. Some of those games remastered. And going the opposite direction from Andrew's question, we're going to go over to Fresh Goes Better. If Billy was here, he would be flipping the fuck out right now. Because uh, I I think you actually know him too, Jeremy. Uh, He went by Fly back in the day. Oh, yeah, Uh, yep. He is a good friend of ours, long, long time. And uh, it's, it's nice to see him on here uh, writing in. And he's writing in about demakes. We've seen plenty of classic games get modern ports remakes, but is there any current franchise that you'd like to see get a throwback style spinoff? That's it. Ooh. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, man, it'd be hard because it, if it's a current game that is like, like I, I talked about Red Dead Redemption a little while ago, right? That would uh, in my mind, I was like, "That's my answer." But then, really, like you couldn't pull that off on a Super Nintendo. You couldn't pull off things like that. That would be fun. It would end up being like this top-down, uh, you know, kind of old PC-style game that would not be very fun whatsoever. So I'm trying to think of what kind of game would have been fun for a like if you made like an 8-bit version of of a current game. God, I'm I'm drawing a blank on this one. Um, come back to me. Go ahead. What do you have? Uh, about. One of the few games that I can really think of that would that could work like back then would be maybe maybe something like Rocket League. You know, you could either do like a on a Super NES, you could do like a Mode Seven kind of thing, or you can even do like a a two D style or something, or you know, I, I don't know, like a rock and roll racing kind of thing with with a ball going around a field. Like I, that would be possible. I think it'd be pretty fun. I don't really remember anything like that back in the day. Uh, and you've also got like the stuff that we've seen lately. Uh, someone posted on our, our Discord of like the um, it was like someone made a Nintendo sixty four version of Metroid, uh, or you know if, if Nintendo would have made a uh, Metroid for the sixty four, and that's that's kind of cool to see. Like that you know obviously that didn't happen, but it would have been neat to see what Nintendo could have done on the Nintendo sixty four with Metroid. Uh, I also got. You know, we got some sort of modern demakes of, not demakes really, but modern versions of games that we love back on the Wii. And we got those uh, th- those cool WiiWare versions of Castlevania and, and Contra that were, you know, fairly, uh, you know, they were nice versions, kind of like 16-bit versions of games that you know, they weren't making anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't really think of anything like modern that would make like a, a really good retro video game because it's, you know that that kind of gameplay that we we get these days doesn't really fit very well for those style of games that we got back then. Well, and, and you can find clips of like you know we made Dark Souls, but it's on the you know it looks like it's eight bit, right? But it still is something that wouldn't have been capable of being done on the Nintendo. Like it wouldn't really have worked. Like it's not a 
it, it, it looks neat, but it still has, you know, way too many things going on, way too many colors, way too many moving parts. Like, it wouldn't have been a thing that would have worked with a two-button NES controller. So, that's a, that's a really tough question. I, I guess even though I just said I don't know if it would work, I, I would love to see how they would do, a, like, a, a Western RPG like like Red Dead Redemption uh, on an older console. How, how would you have pulled that off? I don't need it to look all 3D, but take this, the basic idea and and make it a top-down action game. Make it look more like Gunsmoke. I don't care. Something different to see what happens with it. Or even even something like a, you know, Uncharted going... We kind of got that back in the day with Pitfall, that 16-bit game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or the Indiana Jones games or something like that. But, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to think of something that hadn't been... hadn't really been done back then that you could do with with a modern game. And, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank because there's tons that I would like to see just kind of demakes of to see what they'd look like you know like like you said there was a somebody did a, a bloodborne demake to the playstation i think he's done several of, of those kinds of games and it looks amazing but again that's on playstation that's again that's a system that was already 3d I'd, I'd love to see what some people could do you know bringing these these games that don't fit 2d at all and trying to fit them in a 2d style game from from back in the nes and super nes days i think that'd be that'd be really cool but yeah, it's it's something I'd have to think about, and uh, if if any of you have any uh, that you'd like to see, uh, either send me a, a response to this, uh, or go on our Discord and, and let me know. We've got a link to that on Retrovania.net, and I will uh, I'll get back to this next episode, and uh, we'll see see what you guys think. But yeah, thanks, uh, Fresh Goes Better for writing in. It's nice to see you again. It's been a while. It's good to see you're still out there. And going from one old site member to another, this one comes in from K, everyone's favorite, everyone's favorite K. Let's see if I can start another food fight. Oh no. You guys can debate all you want whether, whether or not gravy is a sauce. No, it is. And, and, and never reach a consensus, but let's see if this sparks another 30-minute discussion. Is chili a soup? In that same vein, is chicken and dumplings a soup? Discuss. I have to say that both chili and chicken and dumplings would have to be a soup because I don't know what else they would count as. Unless you're counting like soups and stews and all these things as different items. I just think if it's uh, a liquid or a broth with stuff in it, it's soup. I think it's pretty pretty cut and dry, for me at least, my definition of a soup. Uh, for me, I would say the, the consistency matters a lot because I, I don't know, like my, I like I don't know about you, but I like chili that's kind of thick, you know, not too much soup or anything in there. But my ex loved a more soupy chili with a, with a ton of the fucking sauce and whatever else is in there. I I would classify a more soupy chili as soup because that's what it always reminded me of every time she made it. Uh, chicken and dumplings, I... Fuck, I don't know. The way we have chicken and dumplings here in the Midwest and the South, and you should know this as well, Kay, chicken and dumplings is not anywhere near the consistency of soup. It is something, when you order at Cracker Barrel, it's on a plate. And if it's on a plate, it ain't a soup. It's, it's like the consistency of the inside of a chicken pot pie, right? No. Well, it, it, more thick, really. It's, wow. it's definitely something that does not even have much gravy or, or, you know, anything like that with it. Look, go look at pictures of chicken, chicken and dumplings from Cracker Barrel and, and you get the idea. It's, it's very much something that is 
almost close to like a biscuits and gravy kind of consistency. Uh, but I, there are times where I have seen other parts of the country do chicken and dumplings in a more soup kind of way. And I believe you could actually buy uh, canned versions of chip, chicken and dumplings with like, you know, in the soup aisle. And to me, that is not chicken and dumplings. Chicken and dumplings is something that you put on a fucking plate and it's it's got the consistency of it's gross. It's like gravy, <laughs> chicken and gravy with dumplings on it. Yeah, yeah, kind of basically that. And that's there you go. That that is chicken. And, I would not call chicken and uh, dumpling soup. You know, I'm I'm second guessing myself as we're here because I think more about chili. And you're right. I like a thicker chili. I don't mind a chili with liquid in it, but I like a thicker chili that essentially is like tomato sauce, right? But not as tomatoes. It would have more flavor. Yeah, but that at, at kind that of point, it's more like a stew almost. But then tomato sauce isn't a soup, right? So now yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I've already confused myself with my own definition. Oh, God oh, damn you, Mason. No. He's done it again. He's he's. The only reason I would say chili is still a soup, even though I just argued that it might not, in fact, be a soup, is that it does come, and I don't like it this way, but if I'm put on on top of a hot dog or something, you can buy it in a can next to the other soups. So I'm going to say it's a soup, despite that now I'm thinking it may not be a soup, just like how, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich? I don't know. Sure. Uh, I think we're going to talk the same thing about chili and, uh, and, and now chicken and dumplings. Any of those, like, I mean, man, that's tough. That is... Might have to take a seat. This is pretty rough. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Uh, you know, what? I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna stay with yes. I'm gonna stay with yes, or else we're never gonna finish this one. Billy's not here. He'll open this back up whenever he returns. I'm sure to tell me that I'm crazy for saying chili's a soup. See, Mason, look what you've done. Jeremy needs to get up in the morning and go to the office. I'm He's not, not even gonna be tonight. able to sleep I'm gonna be tonight. Staring at the ceiling, wondering. Is are all these things soups now that I consider soups? Is clam chowder a soup, or is it a chowder? Is a chowder not a soup? I don't know. This is this is opened up. Pandora's box. Well, now that you've broken our brain, I think it's a good time to read this question for Brian Grimoire. And he wants to say a big thank you to us, which is a change from all of you that say a big fuck you to yeah. us. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's a different you than I normally get. Yeah. Hey, guys, it's me again. Lucky you. I reached out a while back, and like an idiot, I recommended you all play Xenogears. This is second. This, we are getting a lot of Xenogears mentions on this damn thing. I've never played it, so uh, perhaps someday we'll make that occur, but I think we need a lot of free time. I need to go back to being unemployed to play through some Xenogears. Yeah, it's a good 80-hour long game, and it's a complete mess, but I love it. Uh, anyway, this was before I knew I could just throw some money at it and force you to, to play it against your will. I still might. So there you go, Jeremy. You oh, might that's our chance. That's our chance. Anyway, this isn't one to read on the podcast, but I'm reading it anyway because that's how I go. But I really just wanted to say thank you. I've been going through some really tough stuff lately, and your podcast is one of the few things that brings me peace and some much-needed smiles each day. I appreciate all the work you guys do, and I hope the podcast continues for a long while. Okay, now for even more awkwardness. I'm glad you're. I'm sure you're glad that I'm reading this. Speaking of Xenogears, I was <laughs> I've got recently a rash doing on my. <laughs> <laughs> I was recently doing some cleaning and I came across a copy of the game that's in pretty dang good condition. I don't have the ability to play it anymore, so if any of you do, or if you'd like to simply have it as a collector's item, I'd like to send it to you. If you're not interested, I totally understand, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Anyway, thanks again, and if you're interested, we can work out the details via email. Jeremy, do you want a copy of Xenogears? I mean, I I would not turn down a copy of Xenogears. Um... Yeah, we'll 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 send you an email. That sounds like something we would definitely be interested in. And if you're not part of our Patreon, perhaps you'd like a semen grandpa patch. I don't have much else to offer. <laughs> but uh, 
But, you know, maybe we'll trade you something else. I have other things here I could I could barter with game-wise. Maybe you're interested in that. But, yes, thank you for the option, and thank you for enjoying the show. I also hope it continues for a while. Uh, I looked at the list, and it turns out there are several video games we have not covered. So we have a few more to go through before we're totally out of retro games to talk about. Yeah, if, if uh, we'll, we'll get back to you if that is your actual email address that you sent in via the, the contact form. Uh, we'll, we'll, you'll hear from us, but anyway, thank you for the offer. And we're glad that we can, we can do something for you to make your day a little bit better. And finally, we're going to close out with Relast Coberts. Hmm. Hmm. It sounds familiar and I don't, I don't think this is her, but you know, she'll probably get really weirded out and, and ask me or tell me anyway. Um, but he, she writes in to say, uh, he's talking about ultimate retro gaming series. Imagine you're asked to create the ultimate retro gaming series by selecting a game from different numbered series to fill each slot with no series represented more than once. What game would you choose? As an example of a made up modern list that in no, no way represents what I'd actually choose. Someone might go with Xenoblade Chronicles again. Fucking. No, wait, that's Xenogears. This is different. Yeah, Xenoblade this is, Chronicles. This is another Xeno. God damn it. Xenoblade Chronicles, The Last of Us Part 2, The Witcher 3, Uncharted 4, and Persona 5. Looking forward to hearing the answers. Thanks for keeping us entertained. Ooh. Okay. Um, I guess I, I, let's stop at five, right? We could go on forever, I guess, uh, with games that have a bunch. But by the time you get past five, you're really hitting series that you know are going to be long-running series. Or, or I can start, I can get up to 95, so I can talk about Madden 95. Um, so for the, the I guess, if, for the first game, you just pick whatever you want, because it doesn't have to be a sequel. It would just be the original game in a series. Uh, I'm always going to go probably NES, because that's what lives in my, my brain most of the time, but we'll see. So I would start with the original Castlevania, because it's still on its own, one of the best games in the series, uh, and, and kind of a good staple to start with. Then for number two, there is no better sequel number two than Mega Man 2. So you got to go with Mega Man 2 as your number two. Uh, for three, ah, that's this is a tough one for three. Um, does it have to have a three in the title or could it just be the third in the series? I'm thinking just the third in the series. Super Metroid. Super Metroid number three. Uh, I didn't realize how good that was till I played it for this podcast. and was like, well, this is one of the best games ever made, and I'm a fool for not thinking so before we played it. Uh, four, even though she had Persona as Persona 5, he, she, they, uh, I'm going to pick Persona 4 because I think Persona 4 is one of those games that I never want to not have. I'm glad I have it on Steam so I can play it basically anywhere. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And five, ooh, once we're getting up to five, we're going to hit some, hit some rough patches of games that don't need this many sequels. Uh, Mega Man I've already picked. Um, I don't know what five would be for Mario or Zelda or any of those. So that's tough. Five might be where I have, maybe I have to stop at four. Cause I don't know if there's gonna be a lot of games that go up to five that I want to play that often other than persona, which I just discussed. So I'm going to stop at four. Persona four is where I stop my list. And that's a, that's a tough list. Uh, I would go with Contra for the first game, second game, street fighter two, third game, metal gear, solid three, Fourth, fourth and fifth is where I'm stumbling all over the place here. I, I'm not sure. I want to say Persona 4, but you already said that. I'll do Space Channel 5 for my fifth game, despite that it's not a game <laughs> in a series that has five titles. <laughs> five is in the title. I, I guess, you know, going by the, the thing you said of, of not having the actual four in the title, like I would go with Link's Awakening because that is the fourth in the series of that game. 
Uh, besides that, can't really think of any. Code Veronica, again, fourth game in the series. Let, let's just go with, with Link's Awakening. It doesn't have a four in it, but God damn it. I love that game, and it was the fourth in the in the series. The I guess fifth one, I, I'd, I'd have to go with Persona 5, because I rarely play anything five games into the damn series, and I can't think of anything that has a five in it at this point. Well, I mean, like, you have Resident Evil 5, but again, that's not really the fifth game in the series. Yeah. I also, mean, it's, it's not very good. Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't pick that one anyway. I would have picked Resident Evil 4 if I would have thought about Resident Evil, because I think Resident Evil 4 is amazing. Oh, God, that's good. Damn it. Yeah. But, but again, if, it, if we're going by number of games in the series, it's not really the fourth game. But That's true. But I R- guess Roulette Cobbert should have clarified this in, in the rules. Or, or we just are overthinking it. Maybe we should have made that four and, <laughs> and left Persona 5 in and it called it a day. Uh, either way, uh, th- that's a... That's the kind of question I need more time to chew on uh, to come up with a good list. But I like that idea. But I do think after five, you're going to start hitting some rough patches where you're like, I don't have many games that go up to six or seven uh, or farther that are even worth discussing. A lot of my favorite yeah. games only have one or two, if that. Uh, most of the time after after a game's hit two good ones, you should probably stop. But uh, but of course, there are games that went on for way too long. So Castlevania, Castlevania 4 be good, too. Oh, yeah. Castlevania I'd, I'd 4 is that one in there. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, this cool little question. Uh uh, Roulette Coberts, uh, <laughs> thanks for writing in and asking. Um, but that's going to do it for questions this week, guys. I, again, thanks for writing in. We always love to read these this random assortment of, of stuff you send in, and uh, it's it's a pleasure every time. So that's going to do it for this week. Join us next time as we both me and Jeremy prepare our bodies for these questions because that's what we really have to do. I mean, we just got to soak in a tub for like an hour before these questions just to prepare things and, and get ready for this. Make sure we're properly hydrated. Uh, and the good news is if you want more of these shows other than the, the two we do on our main feed every month and you're like, I'd like to hear some shows without questions though. Good news for you on our Patreon, you get two bonus shows, three bonus shows now, in fact, uh, every month that are not the same shows we put on here. They're totally different games. We don't put them on the main feed and they don't have listener questions. It's just us talking specifically about the game for 30 to 45 minutes, depending. And uh, we got one coming up next week on a Super Nintendo game that has an upcoming remake coming out. That's us. That's a hint. But you're never going to guess what it is unless you've already talked to us on our Discord, which is always listed both at Retrovania.net and in the comments for this podcast. And we will see you either for that episode or our next main show, which will be also about another classic game. I don't know which game it is yet. See you then. I forgot to mention how annoying Taneo's scream is. <laughs> it's just the worst. <laughs>